I haven't been able to get that song out of my head for since I started hearing it. I just it just keeps going through my the one and true Almighty God. That's who we worship. The one and true Almighty God. And I hope we understand that's what we're doing. Um, we're not playing church. We're not uh, pretending to be doing stuff. We're worshiping the one and true Almighty God. And so I hope that resonates with you. My message today, are you a Christian? I look around here, as far as I know, everybody in here is a Christian. And you might be going like, wow, that's weird. What a strange uh, message in a church that's full of Christians. But the reality is I've, over the years, figured out that a lot of folks that say they're Christians aren't really Christians. I'm not accusing anybody here of not being a Christian. Just saying. All right, so what sparked this? Well, I've told a lot of you folks that uh, a classmate of mine, uh, graduated from the United States Merchant Marine Academy with me in 1978. Um, he wrote his doctoral thesis in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 4. Now, um, I began reading that, and I'm about halfway through it. And as I was reading it, I've been in the book of Romans for the whole year. Uh, that's what I've been studying. And so, Chapter 8, verse 4, hit right around uh, June 1st. So in any event, as I've been studying that, I I went a little bit different direction than what his thesis is about, but just the same, it sparked this in my mind, and I thought I should preach on it. I told him I would, and I asked him to read over my sermon, if he wouldn't mind, since it was sparked by his idea, and he said, sure, he'd be happy to understand that Peter's been a pastor and he's been involved in the church for over 40 years in ministry. So uh, I figure if anybody's qualified, he'd probably be qualified to look it over. So what is this that I'm talking about? Uh, I mean, a lot of people have told me, and maybe I'm just a really skeptical guy. I'm a Christian. And quite honestly, I take it with a grain of salt when people tell me that. Okay. I hate to be that skeptical, but I've heard plenty of folks and you shouldn't be all that shocked. Uh, how many uh, celebrities or politicians or televangelists have you seen or heard that claim to be Christians, popes and priests and etc.? cetera? Uh, and then you observe their lives and there's like zero evidence that they're a Christian at all. All right, so it shouldn't be that hard for us to understand. And it's not that I'm running around being a fruit inspector, because how do you figure out if somebody is a believer? Well, you kind of look at their fruit that's being delivered in their lives. But just the same, there should be some evidence that makes you believe that that person really is a real Christian, right? There should be something there that that causes that to happen. So I borrowed a great deal of uh, information out of my friends, out of Peter's uh, dissertation. And so although I may not specifically reference every single point, uh, just the same, just know that, okay, a lot of my uh, what I'm going to preach about came from his work. And so I just, just so you know that. So Peter Doubleman and I attended the United States Merchant Marine Academy for, well, a lot of you folks do know where that is just because you've known me long enough to know about it. But it's one of your five federal academies. 
most everybody knows about the Army, the Navy, the Air Force Academy. Some of you know about the Coast Guard, and then there's that fifth one that very few know about, United States Merchant Marine Academy, located at Kings Point, New York. And so um, we attended, got into the place, and as many people know, anybody has gone to any federal academy, it's easier getting in than getting out. Okay, because it's a, it's a real major operation uh, to graduate from one of the federal academies. And one of the things that I was thinking about, my friend uh, Peter, all these years ago, we met on a place called Barney Square. It's right in the middle of the academy. This academy is located, like I told you, in Kings Point, New York. It used to be Chrysler's Mansion. He donated it to the federal government just prior to World War II, and it was turned into the United States Merchant Marine Academy. And so we meet there. We're all there. It's 1974. It's July 15th. It is hot and it is humid. If anybody's been in New York, you know, it's pretty brutal. And so we're all there with our family, our friends, you know, saying, oh, great. This is wonderful. And, you know, you're walking around feeling pretty groovy about all that. And then you are told the parents and friends, oh, you can leave now. And then we all get now we've met these individuals that we call pushers. Okay, they are cadets like us, but they're upperclassmen. And so for the next two weeks, their job is to give us a really bad time. All right, that's that's what they're going to do to you. And what's the objective? Make you quit. That's kind of it, because they only want the best of the best and the ones that are dedicated to stick it out. Because if you make it through that, then you've got four years of uh, scholastic study that if you can make it through that, then you get to graduate. So I remember this day we go through. It's looking great. We walk through the door, Delano Hall, which is a chow hall, and instantaneously it goes bad because there's people just screaming at you at the top of their lungs, screaming and saying, get to the bulkheads. Well, we don't know what a bulkhead is, but in case you don't, it's a wall. But all I know, I'm looking ahead and I'm seeing everybody move to the wall, and I'm like, okay, it means move to the wall. And we're going in there and just people just screaming at you. And you're in shell shock. You just left your family behind. You're thinking, why? What did I do? And so as you're heading down there, there's this spot where you get your linen. And some, I will say somewhat sadistic person, is throwing your linen at you. It's a bundle. It's about that big. It's got your pillow, your blankets, your sheets, your towels. And they're hurling it out of this thing pretty much as hard as they can. See if they can knock you over. I assume that was the deal. And so you're... Go through this whole maze, and we wind up on fourth floor, uh, the second floor of fourth company. And I'm looking there, and the pusher says, well, look around, because a lot of them guys next to you and gals aren't going to be here soon. My class happened to have been the very first class to admit women to any federal academy. That was in 1974. They did that because nobody ever heard of King's Point, so I figured if it went badly, Who's going to know? It's not Annapolis. It's not the Army. It's not the Air Force. So we got the first women, so they were my my class. And so as I'm looking across, because we just told to look across, otherwise you don't look across, uh, and I'm looking across, and there's this dude, he's about 6'1", six, 6'2", six, skinny as a rail, and his ribs are sticking out. I'm going like, that guy ain't going to make it. That's Peter Doubleman. Okay. <laughs> Clearly he made it. But... Peter, you know, was his guy, and I thought, man, that guy got a chance. Well, anyway, we make it through the freshman year. Sophomore year, Peter's my my roommate, and we're over in first company now. And uh, Peter wasn't a Christian, but he was a moral man, 
He grew up in a Roman Catholic church. They were very strict. Church every week, prayers at meals, etc. And so uh, that was his upbringing. And I remember going over to his house, I think one or two times, and uh, meeting his family. They were Dutch. His parents came from uh, from there. And his father worked for a shipping company called Hapid Lloyd, very large shipping company. That's how he knew about the academy. And, and so Peter, when I went to his family and I met uh, his family, he had three, I remember right, I think it was three sisters, very beautiful. And guess what? They were all way taller than me. So I'm like, well, forget about that idea. That's, that's not going to happen. You know, it's so, all right, moving on right along. Uh, so in the event, we get through, graduate from the academy. He's in engineering program. I'm in the deck program. And Peter was like one of the top guys in our class. I, for some reason, his number is in my head. Uh, I think he was number 16 in the class. Okay, so this guy's really smart guy. He gets a full-ride scholarship to Georgia Tech University uh, in their nuclear engineering program. And so, right fella. Well, while he's there, he's staying at a hotel. And as he put it, for the first time in his life, he picked up a Bible, Gideon Bible, of course. And he started to read it. And as he was reading the stories in his Bible, it's striking him. He didn't know anything about this Jesus. Now, he grew up in the Catholic Church, grew up in a Catholic family. All these things that you're supposed to do, but he knew whatever that was, he wasn't a Christian. He knew that much. And he prayed a really simple prayer. The simple prayer was, God, if if these stories I'm reading in this Bible is true, you're going to have to show yourself to me because I, I don't know what this is. Well, after a full semester there, he became disillusioned with their program and their school, and he decided to go to sea. After all, that's what we were trained to do, go to sea. And he went out to sea and uh, as a third engineer. And who did he run into? Well, there was two of us that were Christians that he knew, myself, his roommate, and a friend of ours, Gary Tomingo. And Gary Tomingo was on the ship as the third engineer, the only other Christian he knew. And Gary witnessed to him and told him about Christ, and they handed him a tract. And that was it. And Peter read that tract, and he gave his life to Christ. And I mean, he really gave his life to Christ, 100% committed to Christ. Completely revolutionized his life, so much so he quit sailing and decided to go into ministry in 1980. All right, that's what I'm talking about when you have a real conversion. Now, it's not to mean that everybody goes into the ministry. I'm not saying that. But that was a real conversion. He now knew what that meant. He now understood what that Bible was all about. He understood the power of Christ in his life. And it transformed him completely, much to the shock of his parents, no doubt, who had seen that Peter was on his way moving up. He was going to be doing a lot of things. Ministry wasn't one of them. Okay. So that's where I'm kind of going with this. What is it that causes somebody to completely change their course in their life. Total change. Well, it's coming to Christ. Really coming to Christ. Apprehending him 100%. Committing yourself 100% to Christ. That's what I'm talking about. So let's go ahead. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read uh, 1 through 9. Romans chapter 8. One through nine. I don't know what it is in the Pew Bible. I'm sure somebody will figure that out. 
Um, starting with, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is light and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, that is what it is. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. I think that's clear. I don't think there's any questioning there. You, me, anybody that thinks they can come to God in their own flesh, on their own terms, by whatever means they think they're going to get there, they're not. It's just that simple. It's not going to happen. Peter's dissertation here focuses, as I told you before, on Romans 8.4. If you look at that, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to unpack that whole thing. You can read his 328-page dissertation, if you would like that. I'll gladly give you the link, and you can read it. But essentially, that dissertation discusses how the church fathers read and interpreted that passage of Scripture. All right? And so you can read all about that. For our purposes, though, the summary is this. You can't fulfill God's law in your flesh. You can't do it. The whole Old Testament proved that point. That was the point of the Old Testament. They had the law. They did everything they could to obey the law, yet they could not, right? Christ had to die, had to sacrifice himself to be that ultimate sacrifice so that the law of God is now in our hearts and obeyed through us, through his Holy Spirit. That's how we have that possibility to even do that. So as I was reading that over and looking at it, I thought to myself, okay, what's the first good news there in Romans 8.1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's some good news. No condemnation for us that are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean for those that are not in Christ Jesus? There is condemnation. All right, that's a, that's what that means. All right, so that's the first place we start. We understand that. Now, I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, what being a Christian is not. Okay? Because a lot of you have said, uh, gosh, you know, uh, I'm a Christian because of this, that, and the other thing. All right. Maybe, maybe there's folks out there that believe that way. 
A lot of you don't know, maybe you go, well, Dean, you're preaching to the choir over here. Yeah, in a certain sense, I am. But one of the things I found interesting is, I don't know if you ever go watch Kevin's sermons online like I do occasionally, you know, particularly if I'm not here. There's a whole lot of people watch these sermons. Like, a lot of people watch these sermons. So when I'm preaching here, Kevin's preaching here, we're reaching more than just us here. There's a whole lot of other people that are being reached with this sermon today. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, in case you're wondering uh, what's going on here. So the the thing that I look at, the thing that I'm saying or looking at is, I mentioned it earlier, well, where's the fruit? People tell me they're Christians. They did this, that, and the other. They tell me how they supposedly became a Christian. And I'm like, well, I don't see any evidence. I don't see any fruit. Uh, and I'm not a fruit inspector, but I am sc- scratching my head wondering, well, is that person really a believer? I mean, what, is, what do they think it is they did or might have done that made them think that they're a Christian? Earlier, Kevin read Ezekiel 36, starting in 24. For I will take from from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filth and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Well, how's that going to happen? Only God can do that. Unless our hearts changed. It'll be like my friend Peter. He grew up a religious guy. He grew up in a religious family. I guarantee you, Peter was sure he was, quote unquote, a Christian. Until he came face to face with reading the scriptures and understanding, nope, I'm not a Christian. All right. And so I think that's an important thing. Now we're going to read something else. I'm going to give you a chance if you want to turn there with me. John 3.16 which most of you memorize, but we're going to read a little further than just John 3.16. So if you want to turn it, you can. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You're going like, that's good news. For God did not send the son, his son, into the world to judge the world, but that he would save the world through him. That's good news, right? He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. They're already judged. Okay? You don't believe. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will be exposed. But the one who practices truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. It's an important point that we don't tend to understand, I don't think. I mean, we read John 3.16 and we're, we're pretty happy about that. But then if we read the rest of it and realize, well, there's a little more going on here. And we're not here trying to condemn other people, all right? It is not my job, your job as believers, to condemn others. That's not what we're about. But 
Our job as believer is to warn them. If a house is on fire and you see it, well, you can just stand there. My, that's quite the fire. I like that. Or are you going to try to warn the people inside the house that the house is on fire? Well, that's us. We we have that opportunity to warn them. Warn them. You're, you're living in a false hope. And so that's part of our responsibility. So, okay, now I'm going to give you a few illustrations of what uh, doesn't make you a Christian. All right? But you might have thought it did. Uh, I was baptized in a Greek Orthodox church. So was my, my sister, my twin. All right? And as far as the Greek Orthodox Church was concerned, I'm good to go. Right? But the reality is, my sister and I were just two little babies screaming our heads off. And I have the pictures to prove all that. Right? But my mom and dad were happy because they did their religious duty. And uh, their little kids were good to go. That's not in the Bible. That doesn't save you. Right? I had no assent to what was going on there. In fact, I guarantee if that I've given a choice, I said, don't throw me in that cold water. I'll pass on that. But anyway, so that doesn't do it. How about the, uh, for like my Catholic friends, which I had plenty, um, they, they went to church. They did just like Peter did. They went through, they did their confessions, they did their catechism and all that good stuff. What did it do for Peter? Nothing. Didn't do a thing for him, right? Didn't do a thing for some of my other buddies either because I talked to him and I remember my one close friend said, well, I'm glad that stuff's done. Well, it had no change in his life. It was just like, I'm, well, I've got that over. Parents were happy. They, they did all that stuff. And I, I can remember this conversation. We're 16 years old, like good 16 years old. We're trying to figure out which girls we want to date. And, uh, I remember having that conversation and, and he had a particular gal in mind and, um, uh, he mentions that uh, he would like to have relations with this girl. And he went to his father to ask what his advice would be. And his father's advice, now there's a good Catholic family, was just don't get her pregnant. I, I was shocked. I was I was really shocked because I'm like, wait, that's his dad telling him that. And I'm like, what what part of the Bible did you miss where it says, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be fornicators? And what part did you miss about putting down the flesh and fleeing the lust and desires of our youth? None of that. So that, that was, that one really kind of caught my attention at that particular time. How about church camp? Raw church camp. Yeah, I went to that. I went to a lot of church camps. <laughs> I just spent a bunch of time there. I, uh, listened to a lot of these guys and a lot of my friends went up and they, they, they went up and they did the prayer because the evangelist said so and they said whatever they said and they were quite sure that they were good to go. They were Christians. Except there was zero evidence. None. Not a thing. And, um, they left there thinking they were good. They, they said some prayer up there because the evangelist told them to say something. And they did. They weren't. They weren't believers. They did not accept Christ into their heart. There was no change. Their hearts were stone. Nothing happened there. So when I ask people, are you a Christian? Because I happen to be that guy that likes to do that stuff. We have a few others in here like to do that stuff too, but I, I just have to do that. And they say, oh, I believe in God. What's your response, class? James 2.19, you believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. And I say, uh, let me be a little clearer. Have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? 
Now, if they give me a really confused look, I know they haven't. If they give me a look of, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's what that's what I mean. That's that's what I did. Okay, good. Now now we're getting somewhere, right? It's it's really it's not that complicated. Um, the scriptures are pretty clear about what has to happen. So let's go back to Romans eight four, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As we read this, we're clearly calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should bring about a change in our heart and a change in our mind and a change in our will and a change in our emotion. That's what's supposed to happen when when we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There should be some evidence. We should want to worship him in spirit and truth. We should love God with all our heart and obey his commandments. What did the Pharisees ask Jesus? What's the great commandment? What's the great commandment? You want you can turn there, but it's in Matthew 22. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's a changed life. That's what's supposed to be happening. There should be that evidence. I'm not saying that that's easy to do because Christ, after he says it, on these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. They hang right there. There there it is. That's the crux to the gospel message, if you will. And so part of that changed life should look that way. Now, I'm going to quote my friend Peter here. This new moral life is best understood as a new creation life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Galatians 6.15, that comes or exits from God, is sustained by God, and returns to God, that God may be all and all. Now, I have to tell you, I'd never thought of it in those terms. Where does it all come from? It comes from God. Where does it exist? It exists because God's in us. Where does it return to in that form of our worship and our lives that are dedicated? It returns to God. It's it's kind of a simple illustration I was thinking about. And, and maybe you guys have heard this illustration, maybe not. But it's kind of like you've all seen a light bulb that's dead, right? You turn the switch on, no light. Power's running to that light bulb, but the filament's burned out. That's a dead spirit, if you will. All right. Power's there. It's available, but nothing's going on. That light bulb will not go on because the filament's burned out. Now, once we complete that circuit, the power goes in. The filament is illuminated. The power goes back out and returns to the source. That's how electricity goes. That's how it works. It's called a completed circuit. So we are, if you will, completed circuits in God through Christ Jesus. Our spirits are alive. They're burning for Christ. And it should be like kind of apparent to other people that, hey, that's a Christian. There's a there's a light there. There's something different. That's what we should be seeing. Romans eleven thirty six. Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment. How unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him? that it would be paid back to him for for from him and through him and to him all things to him be glory 
God forever and ever. Amen. It's all to him. That, that's supposed to be our life. We sang, you know, we've sing, sing this song, all to him. Well, what does that mean? It's all to him. That's what that means. All means all, everything. So that thought I brought out earlier, do you think Saul of Tarsus thought he was good to go? Now, he was sure of it. Pharisee, right? He was sure he was good. And so he was so sure he should persecute the church, persecute some Christians, chase them down. He was sure of it. But he was wrong, wasn't he? So that, that Saul who, who thought himself to be a good guy and a real follower, doing all the right stuff, obeying the law the best he could, was not a Christian. I didn't know what a Christian was at that time, but he thought he was following God. He was not. He had to be knocked off his uh, mule. Find that out. Right? His life was changed, and God so changed him that he became the Apostle Paul. That's a revolutionary change. Uh, Philippians 3, we'll start there in verse 3. For we, for, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and take pride in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in flesh, I have more reason circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hezu, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. You really think he was blameless? But anyway, goes on. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of the knowing of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered and lost all things, and count them but mere Rubbish. So that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him having a righteousness that I have received, derived, not from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to Him even in His That's what a real Christian is. That's what they really are. So, I ask you, are you a Christian? Can you look at these scriptures that we've been reading and understand the words and, and look in your own life and say, yes, I'm a believer. I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And my life is reflecting that. That's the key element. Is my life reflecting that? Is that part of who I am? Is that who I, what I'm doing? I think these are important points. If you have placed your faith in anything else other than the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross at Calvary, you will end up in hell. My righteousness, your righteousness, is as a filthy rag before God. It is time to come clean before God. Many of you are Christians for years, and you know this message. And you know my heart, too not here to condemn anybody. I'm just here to present the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit do whatever He needs to do in your life. 
Did you know there is no salvation prayer in the Bible? In case anybody was wondering about that. There is no quote-unquote prayer of salvation in the Bible. I know for some of you, you might be like shocked. What? Eh, no, no. It, it's actually, it's not there. Uh, but we do stand on the scripture and we understand it. And if you, if you wanted to get close to a salvation prayer, you'll find that, uh, in Romans. There is, there is scripture that directs us here. It's Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So Pastor Kevin and I are going to be up here. Anybody that has not confessed Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to come up here. We'll pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior. Nothing magical, as I just told you. We're just going to pray a really simple prayer. If uh, if there is no one and no one wishes to come forward, that's fine. Pastor Kevin is going to close us when he decides it's time to close. Kevin. Wait for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Just we'll wait for a few minutes if anybody wishes. Please pray with us in case you know somebody feels led to come. Bow your heads and just uh, pray for this moment. Pray that this word goes forward. There's many people that are watching this online. I don't know who they are. Maybe they will come to Christ. Uh, maybe they'll call upon his name. Uh, maybe uh, someone here would like to do that. That's great. Uh, so we'll just silently pray and uh, for a moment until Kevin uh, determines his time. And then uh, he'll close us in prayer. Father, it's good. <coughs> It's good to, to come back before your scripture, before your word, and before your son Jesus and ask this question. Am I a Christian? Many of us understand a transaction is taking place, but I don't know if we understand the what's being transacted. Your life for my life. Paul commands us to be living sacrifices. That is a daily thing. Uh, We don't look back to a date on the calendar and say, that's the date I became a Christian so much as we look to our lives now and ask, am I a Christian? Not to say that your grace is faulty and suddenly a day happens where we've lost our salvation. I'm not saying that, but... The disciples were wayward. Peter needed to be reinstated. Sometimes we trip, we fall, we forget, we get complacent. You say to a church in Revelation, you become lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Return to your first love. So Father, if there's any of us in this room who have cheated on you, that's that's the scary picture you give over and over in the prophets. You're an adulterer, you're a whore, you're a harlot. And if that's where our heart is, may the seeds that have been planted today by the message you've laid on Dean's heart bear fruit. Would you return us to you? May we not have the fault of losing a first love. Father, would you make us passionate and bold about your kingdom values? Help us to be about your kingdom, not our own. And Father, if there is anyone who thought, I don't know if I should have come forward, I thought I was saved, maybe I wasn't. Father, would you do away with the question in their hearts as they 
submit and yield totally to you. Father, would you give them greater obedience? If any of us have been hindered by sins or living in a life that we call ourselves Christian, but also making room for something that is completely hostile to you, help us to repent. Help us, Jesus, to obey you when you say, cut off your arm, cut off your feet, gouge out your eye. Help us to take the extreme measures that is required so that we might be obedient. Not because that's the one thing giving us towards, leading us towards hell, although it is endangering us, but because it's the one thing that reveals our heart is not for you. And that should be the most terrifying and saddening thing at all, of all, that our Creator would make us and we would value lesser things. So help us, Father. And if there is people wrestling with sin today, we pray that it wouldn't be said and done today, but that they would seek accountability, that they would seek somebody to talk to and say, I am wrestling here, can you help? Because you made us to be a community. Your word tells us to confess our sins to one another and to bear one another's burdens. We don't bear each other's burdens by saying, don't talk to me about that. Father, whatever the case is, however you've used this today, we do thank you that Dean was obedient to bring about this message. We do thank you that you are faithful, that you send your word out of your mouth and it does not return to you empty. Father, we love you and we thank you and we pray that we would take this message, even if this message was meant for us to give to another this week, that we would be obedient to the things you're calling us to do. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.